All right, well, welcome online to Dean Church Fellowship. We have been studying uh, some of the Old Testament accounts of the kings, and we've been going through uh, some of the kings dealing with the prophets and some of the kings when they were dealing with great trial at hand. We learned about uh, King Hezekiah, his faithfulness, his even his failures, and how God moved in his life. We learned more recently about King Nebuchadnezzar and how Daniel was a prophet during his time and the account of Ratshak, Meshach, and Abednego. And we've been studying these uh, accounts because we want to glean and learn how God moved in his people's lives and how we can take the accounts as a representation of what we should do when we're met with circumstances that are hard for us in our lives. And that's one of the great things about the Bible is that when you start reading it, the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you and move in your life. And it begins to show you things about yourself, about your world. And it begins to confirm things for you. He begins to, through the Word of God and through the Holy Spirit, give you direction in life when you're praying for certain events and certain routes to go on and trials when they come. The Word is our light. The psalmist says, God, your word is a light unto my feet and a light unto my path. And it's true. That's exactly what the word of God is in our lives. And I'm excited about uh, studying these Old Testament accounts. I, I feel like I've been becoming more of an Old Testament uh, type of person myself, where I'm really loving the Old Testament and uh, praying about what we're going to continue to do as we continue in our, in our studies going further. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about even King David and about his life, and possibly going through a study on the life of King David. So that's going to be interesting when we get there. But for now, if you guys remember this past Wednesday, we left off dealing with the Israelites under the captivity of Babylon. And the Babylonian king, his name was King Nebuchadnezzar. And his kingdom was one of the most mighty kingdoms that ever existed on the earth. You remember he had that dream of, where he saw the statue and the image was a statue, the head was of gold and that was representation of his kingdom, the head of gold and then the inferior kingdoms would come after King Nebuchadnezzar. So he has that dream and, and then shortly after that he in a prideful way erected the giant gold statue of himself and wanted people to worship it. And then when Ratshak, Meshach, and Abednego did not worship it, he threw them in the fire. And they were tested. Their lives were on the line. And they were put into the great fiery furnace. But God, Jesus, met them in the fiery furnace. Remember Nebuchadnezzar, he looks into the fiery furnace and he sees four men, not three. And he says, didn't we throw three guys in there? Why do I see fourth? And the fourth one looks like the Son of God. Because that was Jesus in the fire. And Jesus is in our fire. And Ratchak, Meshach, and Abednego, they were men of conviction, men who wouldn't bow down even when their lives were on the line, giving us an example. So after King Nebuchadnezzar in that account, he has some uh, other trials that he himself goes through where because of his pride, it leads him to 
be driven out into the wilderness for seven years where he becomes wild like a madman because he didn't honor the, the one true living God. And then God deals with King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar ends up on his knees honoring the one true living God. And God brings King Nebuchadnezzar back into his kingdom and restores the kingdom to him. And then as was prophesied by the prophet Daniel in the interpretation of his dream, King Nebuchadnezzar's son, Belshazzar, takes over the throne. And shortly after Belshazzar's reign, they ha Belshazzar is having these great parties and he's a man who does not honor God. They would have the, these wild, crazy revelry parties and they would take the articles of gold from the temple, which was used for the Lord, and they would pour wine into it and get drunk and have these crazy parties. And then one, in the midst of one of these parties, all of a sudden, Belshazzar and his people, they look and they see a hand writing on the wall. And they can't understand what it's writing. And it's writing these symbols. And they're like, whoa, what is this language? What does this even mean? And it scares them so much that his knees begin to buckle and shake. So the queen, she knows of the prophet Daniel because Daniel served King Nebuchadnezzar during his time. So she tells King Belshazzar, hey, go to Daniel, the prophet, for he's wise and he'll, he'll be able to read this. So Daniel comes and he tells Belshazzar, look, this is what the writing on the wall says. Many, many tickle you farsin, meaning God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Meaning, time's up. You've been living your life of luxury and of sin and of pleasure, and I've had it, and it's time is up. And now, that very night, the Medes and the Persian army came in, and they took over the Babylonian Empire. Now, the interesting thing is when the Medes and the Persians did this, for some reason, they kept alive a lot of the people there, including Daniel. Because as we read later on, at the end of Daniel chapter 5, verse 30, it says, That very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius, the Mede, received the kingdom, being about... 62 years old. So we have here now the beginning of King Darius as he walks into the scene. And he's the new king now, the, the Mede and the Persian king. But it pleases King Darius to have Daniel stick around. We're going to read about that. Let's begin with Daniel chapter 6, verse 1, out of the New King James Version. It says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom, 120 satraps, and to be over the whole kingdom. And over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them, so that the king would suffer no loss. Then Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So keep in mind of the character of Daniel. 
Daniel, at this point in the story, is in his 90s. An old, wise man of God, and still being used mightily by the Lord. So God doesn't look at age as a factor when he wants to use you. When God wants to use you, he's going to use you no matter how young or old you are. So it says that Darius set this man, Daniel, over these three governors as being one of them. Why? So that the king would suffer no loss in verse 2. So that the king would suffer no loss. You see, Daniel was going to be a man who was involved in politics and in business. And that's very interesting. Daniel stood out despite being surrounded by the politicians and the businessmen. And he stood out in a holy way. You see, he, he didn't succumb to the wealth and the money that was surrounding him into sin or into greed. Why? Because Daniel had an excellent spirit, it says in verse 3. And it, when we're out there in the business world, when we're out there working our day-to-day jobs, we should seek to have that excellent spirit in us that we can be a light to the world. As Christians, when we are, are, are terrible at our, our jobs, our work ethic, due to, to laziness or to, uh, to failures that we can control, that we are choosing deliberately to be lazy or deceitful, those types of flaws, we're misrepresenting Christ because we are to be the light of the world. In Matthew chapter 5, you don't need to turn there, but I'm going to read two verses to you. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 and 16, Jesus says this, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So when we are representing Christ in a fruitful way, in a truthful way, who gets the glory? God gets the glory. See, people are, they're going to form opinions on you and on your everyday conduct. They're not going to form their opinion based on one time that you were your best. It's what they see day by day. So what do we do day by day? What is our character like on a daily basis? Because that's how people will judge us. You see, people can't judge our personal relationship with Christ. That's for God alone. But they will look at you and judge your conduct with their human eyes. So Daniel noticed that he's prospering in his position now where he's planted. You see, Daniel at this point in his life is not in full-time ministry. And he's not confined to the temple of the time. No, he, he was prospering right where God had planted him. And I believe that's the word of the Lord for a lot of us. See, because most of us are not called to full-time ministry. We, we have tradesmen and, and businessmen and doctors and, and fashion 
people. I don't know what else you guys do out there. But there's so many different occupations. And wherever God has you, let that be your post of ministry. You see, because then when you begin to look at your workplace, your school place, as your post of ministry, then all of a sudden you become fulfilled in doing that work. So it's important to note that Daniel was a man greatly used by God. He prophesied to the nation of Israel of, of even the end times. And the, one of the men, Daniel, who was so greatly used by God, keep in mind his job was he was a businessman and he was involved in politics. In verse 4, so the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So now we have the jealousy of these governors and satraps. It comes into their heart. And why? Because look at Daniel. He, he was a man who his people were conquered by the Medes and the Persians. So I, I see some prejudiceness going on here, a little bit of racism, where because he's a conquered man, one of the conquered race, the Israelites, there's prejudice against him. His religion is different than their religion. His age, he was probably much older than the other governors. And they become jealous of this. You know, Daniel was a leader. And a lot of times when God begins to mightily use a person and exalt someone for his work, people will become jealous. I believe we need to be praying for the leaders of the church because the enemy would love to incite others to become jealous and to attack them. I th think constantly about how the Pharisees became jealous of Jesus. They became jealous that Jesus was taking the hearts of the people, which were rightly fully his. And they were taking away the, he was taking away the Pharisees' position, which he should have been doing. Because the Pharisees wanted the glory of God. But it wasn't theirs. And Jesus came and told people, look, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And he brought people up. You see, before Jesus, God sent his prophets to be an example and to give the word of God to the people. So the people used to look up to the priests as this is the word of the Lord coming through this man. And there was a good time for that. But what the Pharisees had done after many years is they had taken that place, that position as priests, and had turned it into a platform for their own pride so that they could gain. And they stole God's glory. And they were jealous when Jesus came in and said, look, you don't need the priest anymore. I am your direct conduit to God himself. 
and we can have fellowship, direct fellowship with God through Jesus Christ, who is also God, part of the Trinity. So now that we get to have one-on-one fellowship with Jesus, there doesn't need to be the middleman anymore. Jesus is the mediator to God. So we don't need to go through man to God. We go directly to God himself, which I love. Christians can become jealous when we get our eyes off of what God is doing and begin to focus on what God is not doing. How often in our, in our lives do we become frustrated and impatient because we're just staring at this hole in our life that we think needs to be fulfilled? Like, God, where is the job? Where is the relationship? Where is the ministry? Where is whatever this pursuit might be, the, whatever it might be? And it, instead of, of looking at what God has placed you, where he's placed you, what he's already given you, we're constantly looking at what he hasn't yet blessed us with. And we become frustrated, and we might become impatient and begin to make moves outside of the Lord's will so that we can gain those things, which is an error. You see, God, he prepares his instruments. He prepares his vessels for the blessing. Do you allow God to prepare you for that blessing? You see, a father who has an inheritance waiting for his son, a good father is going to prepare that son or daughter for that inheritance. If that father was to spoil that child, he would be harming that child because then when the child finally does get that inheritance, he might misuse it. He might spend it greedily or unwisely. So God, in that same manner, wants to prepare us for that blessing, wants to prepare us for that inheritance. So that's what our Heavenly Father does for us. Continuing on in verse 6. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and the satraps, the counselors and the advisors, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for thirty days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. So in verse 6, these men, they come to the king. It says that they thronged him, meaning they assembled quickly. So they, they want to kind of overwhelm this king with flattery. We're going to see how they do this. So the, the king wouldn't have so much time to think this out. And they began now to use this intense flattery stemmed from their intense selfishness. And they began to swindle the king into thinking that these men really loved the king, but in fact, it was just that they really hated Daniel and wanted to take his position. 
So what do they offer this king? In verse 7, they, they said that they wanted to make this decree that people could only petition to him and to not any other god. So Darius basically was going to get to be this pseudo-king for a month. And they used this temptation in King Darius's life. This is the same temptation that Satan used in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. He tempted them with the fruit and said, look, when you eat of this fruit from the, knowledge, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will become like God, knowing good and evil. You see, that, that temptation in, in our lives to be like God, it exists. Where we want to be God. In our hearts, there is a throne. And who's on that throne? Is it you? Is it somebody else, a human? Is it a, a pursuit? Is it money? Is it success? Is it fame? Or is it Jesus Christ? Everybody's got to serve somebody. Even the atheist himself is probably serving humanity in her hearts. We all serve somebody. And Jesus, when you make yourself a servant to him, he frees you. Where you know, you're no longer bound by sin anymore. You have the freedom to not sin. So many times uh, I've, I've had conversations with friends who aren't saved and, and they say, wow, aren't you limiting yourself by putting all these restrictions on yourself by not doing certain activities that are sinful? Don't, don't you feel like you're just limiting yourself and you're putting yourself in, into like a bondage? And I tell them that I, I, I'm, I'm free because I get to choose to not do it. Whereas before, when I was in my sinful state, before I became a believer, I, I had to do those things in my heart and in my mind. I wanted to commit those things. But now God has blessed me with the choice, the ability to, to say no to those things that are eternally hurting me, that are hurting my heart and mind even in this world today. So God frees us. He frees us from that sin of even wanting to be like God. And that's what Darius is tempted with here. Keep in mind, Darius, he loved Daniel. And he even admired the God of Daniel. But this temptation was too much for King Darius. In verse 10, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. So Daniel knows now. He knows that once the king made this decree, once he wrote the written decree, that according to the Medes and the Persians, the laws can't be changed once they're written. So now that Daniel knows this, I think that Daniel, in his mind, was immediately thinking not of 
himself first. But all of his Christian brothers and sisters, or Jewish brothers and sisters, there weren't Christians at this time yet, but all his Jewish brothers and sisters who wanted to worship the one true living God, and now they were faced with this huge trial where now their life was on the line if they tried to worship openly the one true and living God. So those are the kinds of questions you begin to ask is when you're put, when your life is on the line, when your neck is right there on the knife, when do you submit to the Lord and when do you submit to government? Whenever you're given the, the option, whenever somebody puts that gun to your head and says, hey, are, are, are you going to follow Jesus or not? You always choose God's law over man's law. I'm thankful that we live in a country where they do allow religious freedom. I'm thankful we live in a country where we can do this online Bible study. But there's a lot of countries out there right now who they don't get to do that. And they have to hide. So you, you always put God's law over man's law. I remember in the book of Romans, we, we learned about submitting to government. And Paul commanded it. And you do submit to government. But whenever the government begins to make these laws that go contrary to the law of God, that keep us from worshiping the one true living God, that's when we say no. I think of all the martyrs who, who sacrificed their life, who they didn't want to bow down to the kings of their time. And I wonder, would I be able to do the same when the gun was to my head, if the knife was to my neck? I believe that God has a grace for martyrs. That in that moment, he gives them the strength. In that very moment, he gives them the Holy Spirit power to say, yes, Lord, I will follow you, rather than to serve man. So Daniel was like that. He was like those martyrs who we read about of old. You see, Daniel, his first reaction here, when he hears of this decree, he goes to what? To prayer. And he says that he wants to keep his routine up. Which, what is his routine? His routine is to pray three times a day. You know, in, in our own lives, how often do we pray? Um, breakfast, lunch, and dinner? I don't think that was what Daniel did. When it says that Daniel is praying and make, making supplication before his God, I'm almost certain that he was having this private devotional time without the food. And you know, in our own life, this is something where we should practice. We should have a devotional life that's daily because we need the Holy Spirit to guide us daily. We can't go days without hearing from the voice of God. We can't go without God at all. 
So our devotional life is key. Whenever I, I come into people who have trials or problems or, or struggles, something I was trained in and I, and I see it as, as being the ultimate key is the simplicity of reading the Bible, number one. So you always ask that person, hey, well, how's your Bible reading right now? Are you in your word? Are you praying? Number two, are you praying? You see, we need to have that communication with God. We need to, to be able to talk to God, and we need to be able to hear from God. And through prayer, God changes us. And then thirdly, fellowship. Do you have fellowship with other believers? You see, right now in this time, their fellowship is being attacked. Why? Because we don't get to meet together on a personal uh right now in contact relationship right now. But there's still so much technology out there for us. We could still call one another. We could still call and text and safely encourage other people to look at God. So those are those three things that I always ask people. Are, are you doing those things? Are you, are you in your word? Are you praying? And are you seeking out fellowship? Why? Because fellowship is going to give you that direction to make sure that you're on track. We need to have accountability in our lives. So Daniel was a man who had a great devotional life. Daniel knew what the decree was saying about the Jewish people, but he also knew his God because of his devotional life. And the wicked men the governors and satraps who created this plot, they knew Daniel's character also very well. They knew it so well that they knew that he was going to be upright and that he wouldn't deny his God and that he would not be able to obey the laws that King Darius has signed off on. So they knew that this was going to be his fall. But to God, it wasn't his fall. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it gives us an example of how we should be concerning the enemy. In 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So we are to be a sober-minded, meaning clear-minded, without any kind of drugs, and that could also mean to be soberly minded means to be not so moved by the emotions and to be watchful, vigilant. Why? Because the devil is trying to take us down. He wants to kill us. So how do we do this? By prayer, just like Daniel did. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, it says, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything be prayerful and but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So because of the peace that comes into the believer's life, Daniel was certain that God knew exactly what was happening and that God had a plan regardless of whether the king's men would come for him or not. 
So what did he do? He opened the windows because he didn't care who saw him pray. He began to pray for his brethren who would also face those same laws. So he didn't care about what other people thought concerning the laws of man for him. You see, he did care what people thought concerning his God. So we need to be mindful of what other people think concerning our God. In verse 12, And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, That Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored to the going down of the sun to deliver him. So at this point, Darius knew he had made a mistake. At this point, Darius realized, oh, my friend Daniel, this prophet, I've trapped him. So what does he do? He tries to labor so that he can somehow rescue Daniel. But it was going to be almost impossible with this law of the Medes and the Persians for Darius to rescue Daniel. Daniel needed God to rescue him. And I love how Daniel was just so courageous, even still, he, he didn't care what other people thought when he prayed. And I think sometimes in our lives, we'll, when we're out there in the world, we care too much about what other people might think when we say, oh, God bless you, brother, or when we have that open prayer right before we're about to eat. I would encourage you guys to, to be bold as, as a Christian, and not to be undercover Christians. A lot of times we try to be these undercover Christians and try to get people saved without letting anyone know that we're really Christian. You see, we need to be bold about our faith. We need to be able to use the name of Jesus in our lives. I encourage us weekly, usually it's weekly, that when we have our conversations, we should bring up the name of Jesus with people. Somehow. Remind people that Jesus loves them. Remind people about what Jesus did in your life and use his name. Because when you say that Jesus helped you this week, when you say that Jesus loves you to a person, it takes out all other gods and it focuses on Jesus, the true living God. In verse 15, then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that this is the law of the Medes and the Persians, that no decree or statue which the king establishes may be changed. So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought, 
and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. So we, we talked about this last Wednesday. That sometimes God does not rescue us from the trial. Ultimately, God has a plan. And ultimately, his children get to meet him in eternity one day. But in the Bible, we're promised persecution. And in the Bible, we're promised trials and tribulations. Those are one of the promises of God that uh, I kind of wish wasn't in the Bible. But I know God uses it in our lives. I know that God uses the, the harsh pressing of, of hurt and of depression and of fear and of bitterness against us so that he can mold and shape us into something greater than we ever have thought we could be. And it's for the Lord. In Romans chapter 5, verse 3 to 5, it says, And not only that, but we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint. And it's true. It's true that God is creating something much greater than we could have ever created ourselves within us. And he uses these trials so that we can draw closer to him, that we can completely set our trust upon him. And there's an eternal weight of glory. So if God is not choosing to remove the mountain, he has a purpose for it. A lot of times we're praying and we're begging God, God, please just remove this mountain, remove this mountain. And then all of a sudden Jesus walks up next to you and he's got his backpack on and he's like, all right, you ready? We're going to go over this thing. And you're like, what? No, can you just move it? And he's like, no, nah, we got to go over it. Why? Because Jesus wants to teach you things along the way. So Daniel, at this point, is thrown into the lion's den. And in verse 18, now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting and no musicians were brought before him also his sleep went from him then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of the lions and when he came to the den he cried out with a lamenting voice to daniel the king spoke saying to daniel daniel servant of the living god has your god whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? So first notice that this king, King Darius, he goes into fasting. Now, I'm not quite sure who, how he fasted, if he was even fasting to God, Jehovah. But either way, he, you can see he's emotionally moved and that he, he has no sleep. There's no music brought before him and his sleep went from him. And it almost seems as if he had a worse night than Daniel did in the lion's den. And then in the, early in the morning, he makes haste and he runs over to the lion's den. And then in this crying out, lamenting voice, probably hopeless, he cries out to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Verse 21. 
Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Wow. Daniel first recognizes that there is honor in the position that Darius has. Again, in Romans, it it talks about how God places the leaders in our world in the positions that they're in, that God has appointed them. And he says, O king, live forever, giving honor to King Darius. And he says, my God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths. Now, that's quite interesting, the the angelic realm. There's over 273 references to angels in the Bible. And And we see them always as messengers of the Lord, doing God's work, protectors, servants to the God Most High. We have Michael, one of the archangels. Michael is an archangel to the nation of Israel. He's constantly seen guarding the the nation of Israel whenever the enemy would come to attack them. And we have Gabriel, another archangel, and he always seems to be some herald of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, because everywhere concerning Jesus Christ, he would appear to Mary, telling Mary, you're going to have the son, the Messiah, and you're going to name him Jesus And he also appeared to Joseph, Mary's husband, and told her, well, at the time it wasn't his husband, but Joseph. And he told Joseph, Joseph, look, don't be afraid. You're Mary, the one you're engaged to. She's with child, and the child is going to be the the Messiah from the Holy Spirit. So we see Gabriel constantly, uh, he appeared to the shepherds. Actually, other angels appeared to the shepherds with, with Gabriel, and he would tell them of the things concerning Jesus coming into this world. The angels, they're real. There's one uh, interesting story that um, one of my good friends and and a pastor to the high school ministry I used to be involved in, his name is Scott Salamat. And there was a time I remember when I was working at In-N-Out Burger, and I remember I had to take actually an order, a meal, to the police station that was across the street over in um, in Walnut Diamond Bar. So I, I took some food to the police station because this officer just wanted to bring some food for this family. And I got to deliver the food over there to them. And he had, the police officer had shared with me that this family, um, the father of these two little boys had, had killed the mother. He shot her. And then he began to try to shoot his own sons. And he did wound one of the sons, but both of the sons stayed alive and they hid from him. Um, And then he shot himself. And so when the police arrived on scene, they were looking for the little boys around the house. And they found one of them, and and one of them told them, hey, um, uh, I was here and I was scared after being shot. And all of a sudden, this man in white appeared to me and he told me not to move or, or go anywhere. And he said, if I stay here, I'll be safe. And then I told him that well, I want to go to my little brother. And he said, don't worry. One like me is watching over your little brother. 
And so they told this little boy told this to the police officers. And one of those police officers uh, actually was the one to call Pastor Scott. So they called Pastor Scott in to talk and console the family and to pray with them. And the police officer told the story to Scott because it was kind of going around. And Scott knew, like, whoa, this is this is an angel. This is an angelic realm that now we're dealing with here. And the police officer just happened to be also a believer. And when they talk, him and Scott talked together, I believe it was a girl, uh, when the police officer and Scott talked together, uh, they both knew that God had moved and protected these young men. So it's interesting to see how angels are, are, are very real in our lives. And, uh, you know, perhaps even we have these angels who are assigned to us specifically. So when you get to heaven and one day I'm probably going to find that angel and be like, hey, where were you on this day? Like, what, what's up, what was up with that? I'm just kidding. Uh, but God does use them. So they shut the mouth of these lines. And Daniel was probably down there just maybe even admiring how great these lions were at the time. Maybe he was scared, I don't know. But I know that God was with them. So much so that when the king came to him this morning, he was happy to see the king and said, oh, king, live forever. And then in verse 23, now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den so Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury whatever was found on him, because he believed in his God. Wow. See, this is the fruitfulness of faith, the fruitfulness of belief. The king is glad. Daniel's taken up out of the den. There's no injury found on him. Why? Because of his faith. God saw the faith of Daniel and he counted Daniel to be a righteous man. Someone who wouldn't falter when, when faced with death in serving the Lord. In our lives, we need, to, we need to have that faith because the opposite would be to be unfaithful and to be without belief. And that's a sin. See, when we don't believe and when we don't have faith, when we don't take those steps of faith, this is a, a, a sin of not doing what God's called you to do. You see, there, there are sins of omission, meaning God calls us to do something and we don't do it because of fear, because of sin, whatever it is that it might be. It's a sin because we're not performing what God's called us to do. So I encourage you guys to take those steps of faith. And in verse 24, And the king gave the command, and they brought those men who had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of the lions. Their children and their wives and the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. So look at what this sin of jealousy had did in these governors' lives. It led not only themselves, but their entire families down with them. And those lions, they were hungry. 
some critics have said, well, maybe, you know, Daniel went down there and the lions just weren't hungry, so they left him alone. No, these guys were so hungry that they ate everyone before they even touched the bottom of the den. In verse 25, Then King Darius wrote, To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues, and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So the ultimate end of this trial that Daniel faced was victorious. God spared him from being eaten. But Daniel had that same attitude that the the Israelites, Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego had, where he said, look, we know God can save us, but even if he chooses to not save us, we're still not going to bow down to any other God. And do we have that in our lives? Is Jesus Christ reigning in our hearts and in our minds? If you don't have that, if you're struggling with that, Jesus, he's available for you. He wants to have a, a personal loving relationship with you without sin, without the fear of, of damnation, without the, the emptiness that this world has to offer you. If, if you're listening to, to this, I, I do want to say a prayer. And if you would like to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, meaning that he's not only going to save you from hell, but he's also going to be now the one to say what you're going to do with your life. See, there has to be repentance from sin. And there has to be an obedience to God's will in your life. So if you would like to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm going to say a simple prayer and just pray along with me. And then we're going to end with some, uh, some worship. Heavenly Father, I confess to you that I am a sinner. Wash me by your Son's blood. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Father, use me for your will. I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. And I put you, my life, in your hands. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, uh, go ahead and leave a, send a message to us. We, we want to reach out and touch base with you. And uh, the story of Daniel, um, the account of Daniel, may be an example to our lives this week. I, I would encourage you guys to, to use the name of Jesus as you continue on this week. 
And then if you have like a story that you want to share, uh, go ahead and message us. Tell us about it where you use the name of Jesus this week. So let's end with a song of worship. And as we get ready, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for this message. I pray, Lord, that we would just trust you, Lord God. Even despite, Lord God, our, our current situation, Lord God, with fear, with the, Lord God, possibility of even death, I pray, Father, that we would be submissive to your perfect will, Lord. We love you, Father. We praise you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. Age to age, he stands, and time is in his hands, beginning and the end beginning and the end the Godhead three in one Father Spirit Son the Lion and the Lamb the Lion and the Lamb how great is our God Sing with me, how great is our God, and all will see how great, how great is our God. You're the name above all names, worthy of all praise and my heart will sing how great is our God name above name above you're the name above all names worthy of all praise and my heart will sing how great is our God how great is our God sing with me how great is our God and all will see how great how great our God. Amen. Well, tune in on Wednesday night. We'll be here to give you guys another Bible study and to, uh, to worship together. So may you be blessed this week. May you be filled with God's grace and with his peace. In Jesus' name.